Hello and welcome to the Content Design Podcast. My name is Vanessa Barlow. I'm a content designer and digital strategist. In today's episode, I chat to Alex Reese, head of digital at Test. A test specialises in user behaviour data, so I was really interested to chat to him about how he gathers some of his insight and gets to know his audience, and also some of the tests that he runs and um, how we might be able to kind of learn from that as content designers. Um, it was really great to talk to Alex, so thank you again to him for coming on the show and enjoy. Um, there, someone once said to me that if you're targeting everyone, you're targeting no one. Nice. Very, <laughs> I can't claim that as my own, but I, that's always at the back of my mind when I hear um, managers uh, speaking about, well, you know, our product should be available for everyone. That may be true, but it's impossible to market to everyone, especially on a well, if you're Coca-Cola or someone huge, you can start to consider it. But you're, if you've got a small budget, your personas are going to be, key, it's slightly cliche, but they are going to be key to your success. And key, the reason for that is so that everyone knows what they're doing. So if you have a clear persona that you're targeting or group of personas, then it's very easy to work out what publications you should be in, what you should be writing about that will interest these people. And you can. Um, it's a lot easier to measure if you're successful, mm. if you're getting um, engagement in these uh, with these people on these channels. Um, that's a lot easier to measure than if you're attracting everyone to to your website. Mm-hmm. So, do you have quite a um, iterative approach in that? If you have a particular persona and you think this channel, let's do a really broad example of um, paid posts on Facebook um, at about 4pm in the afternoon is going to really, really catch these guys. And then do you actually monitor that? Do you kind of rapidly change your learning depending on um, how they're performing? Or have you ever found that you've kind of totally misunderstood an audience and had to do quite a few iterations? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's very rare you'll get it right first time. Um, and iteration is key to um, it's key to success of any campaign, and you should always be iterating. I, I think, and in order to do that, um, so with the example you say of Facebook in the afternoon, you, there's so many things with digital that you can change. Mm, it's, so it's good to have a good idea of what you want to test before you go in, and try not to test too much. Um, so you need to design your iterations with a thought of what you're going to do with the results so if this works if I change this subject line then I'm going to do this and if I if we're testing at four why are we doing that are we going to test at every hour Uh, are we going to test different images are we going to test and then what will we do when we get the results and always have that at the back of your mind as you're iterating Um, so an example um, I've done in the past is iterating different forms of tweets so looking at asking a question versus encouraging people to discover something and just testing a very small thing and seeing if it makes a small difference and if you think it makes a small difference doing it again to confirm what you've done Um, yeah that is the, the nature of a lot of stuff that we do but you have to be really really careful with it because if you make a decision too quickly on whether an iteration's worked or not worked you can go down the wrong path very easily mm-hmm. so it's worth looking um, if you are going to go through iteration looking at the science behind how many people you should put your um, creative in front of and how big the difference should be before you make a decision as to whether it works or not so that kind of idea of just making sure you're testing with a big enough segment because otherwise you're basing these decisions on just 
of what how a few people are acting. Yeah, and if you let a test run for long enough, you can often see why you should do that because there will be fluctuations. Uh, what, like if you just run a test for half an hour, uh, an A might outperform a B by ninety percent. But if you let it run for a week, it might be much closer. So until you stop seeing those fluctuations um, for a, a long time, you should. It's better to do less tests but get better results rather than test everything and you can very quickly um, get into chaos and if it's really important you do this not just for your own sanity but so that people around you maintain faith in the tests that you're running and so that stakeholders will believe the results and allow you to act on them. Again as content designers we're always so keen to get to know our audience and do these kind of rapid iterative tests and to um, really build on what we're learning but sometimes when you um, propose tests to um, clients or other stakeholders in your business there can either be they can be risk averse as in they don't want to step away from what they've always done particularly if it's something quite high profile or high budget Um, but also the idea of a test is that it's a test as in you can hypothesize it's going to show one thing over another and exactly as you said that's why you have these kind of robust um, motivations before you do the test Um, but it should be open to what the result is and it might be that your hypothesis is right or wrong yeah sometimes with stakeholders they're so keen for a certain outcome that actually um, they can jump very quickly onto a particular result or use as a kind of, I told you so, this, this means we need to go back to what we've always done rather than letting you test and test again. So have you ever kind of come across that yourself or have you got any ideas on how you've overcome that? So I think the best way to overcome that is to agree what success like looks like before you start the test. So if you know you want to get a 1,000 visits and you want to see a change in your conversion rate by more than 0.5%, if all the stakeholders have bought into that before, then that stops them jumping off after you know, 100 visits to a certain page and a small variation. If you've said and you've agreed with everyone beforehand um, that what success looks like, that will make it much easier to stop people um, yeah, running away with early results Mm -hmm. but it is difficult it's easy to say that but when you've got a a high manager who has a hypothesis they'll often do anything they can to maybe subconsciously to see that hypothesis bear out Mm, and exactly it'll be if the results don't go the way you want your test will be wrong so the more buy-in you get before you do it and this is really obvious but the more buy-in you get before before you do the test the less room there is for maneuver at the end and sometimes that is an iterative process in terms mm-hmm. of re- realising you know, I've, got, I've got slightly outmaneuvered on this one next time we'll make sure we do this differently and sort of manage the management and stakeholders as you go through but it's not easy there's a lot of great with A-B tests we could almost talk about that for an entire podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another element is kind of closed research so it might be that you're running A-B tests and and starting to learn about your audience and what people react to Um, and it could be that another member of your organisation is running similar tests for a different thing and it's all building up this profile of who the people who your audience is but they're not necessarily talking to each other and sharing that um, research. Um, Have you kind of found that in any of your roles and again kind of overcome that in any particular way? You are always, in a larger organisation, I used to work for um, a large 
um, online retailer and um, they're sort of a household name and they've got lots of chiefs within the company and lots of people who have ideas on how things should be done um, and yeah I think there the brand team was quite separate to the marketing team which again was quite separate to the creative team and they've all got the problem when you have silos like that is they've all got ideas on ways they think things should be done and it's quite interesting there is often the creative team that was pushing sort of testing because they felt like one person will go on their gut and tell them to do one thing and that's different to another person who they're serving who, who goes on a gut so I think A-B testing can be a good way for creative teams to avoid too many um, discussions that are taken away from because creative is so subjective in, in a lot of ways um, to take that decision away from some key powerful stakeholders who were perhaps overriding a, a process that would yield genuine improvement which is what mm-hmm. these guys want they just perhaps think they know better than customers and they know better than their audience and it's really difficult to know what thousands of thousands of incredibly different people want like mm-hmm. that's something I've, I've learned since working at a test like it's really you can't second guess the masses <laughs> um, you can't uh, it's it's it, often the results will surprise you if you do the test properly and that's how you learn um, I think the days of sort of one Don Draper type figure who sort of comes up with taglines that are incredible uh, there's definitely a, a place for that still but it's um, it's difficult in a small organisation and it's difficult in a big organisation to have someone like that I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. but thank goodness it has moved on so much from that and one of the kind of key things we can do is guess kind of digital advocates is show people that you're not just doing a um, above the line version and a direct mail version and a digital version it's like actually there's so much you can specifically do on digital and so many ways that people might behave differently on digital than they would if they were flicking through a magazine and seeing the exact same content and actually we need to be thinking about why is it this digital channel for this person at this time and how can we quickly iterate and improve this because in the way that once a a print ad is signed off months ahead once it's signed off it goes off and there's no changing it with digital you can turn things around incredibly fast and it feels like again depending where you're placed some organizations really have that vision and they know that digital is this completely different ever-changing you know, don't quote stats for a year ago because that, that behaviour is already old and people are using things differently. Um, and then there's other organisations where you've got to really bring them on board to what digital can do and how you can just rapidly improve things. Um, how have you kind of, if you've ever been in an organisation where you've had to do that, um, can you give any examples of sort of things you've done to kind of really showcase, okay, I'm a digital marketer or a head of digital this is what we can bring over and above some of the things you've already been doing or some of your yeah. other channels? That's a really good question. I think the it is fascinating. And one of the reasons it's so interesting to work in is because you get instant feedback. So mm. if someone saw an ad um, or an article in a magazine, you know, 30 years ago and they didn't like it, they might they'd get on with their lives, maybe read it, not like it, might mention it to someone. Nowadays, if someone reads, a, you only have to go on YouTube to see how many different types of people can interpret the same content and some people love it some people hate it 
Um, so the interesting about digital is the instant feedback and the power that brings. So if you get something right, if you've got your content interesting, engaging, genuine, and you've delivered it in the right channel to the right people, then it's really likely that there'll be the virtuous cycle that they'll want to tell their friends about it. Mm -hmm. And they'll like it and they'll share it on their own media. And that's really good for your brand because your brand gets big points for being associated with this great content. Um, but if people don't like it, then the exact same thing can happen. If you know, if your brand, we saw with the stuff on Google recently, if you if you get served up on a website that you shouldn't be on, if your content is too corporate, people will just ignore it. If it's too controversial, you, you'll offend people. Um, so there's and, and you'll get feedback instantly as to whether you've got it right or not. You'll post something on Twitter in the morning, and you'll you'll see some. So it's a lot of feedback instantly, but also a lot of um, feedback you won't see, like mm. with the dark social becoming so prevalent, sort of 75% of social shares worldwide at the moment are on dark social. So dark social sort of WhatsApp and things that you can't measure as a marketer, like you can't, uh, you can't really see what the people are thinking about your brand on just by looking at social media, just by looking at pe what people are tweeting. That's a... Uh, for a lot of brands that's a very small subset of their audience so you can get an idea but it's um there's a lot of benefits of getting your content right in digital but the, the pitfalls are there definitely mm -hmm. and how would you kind of recommend in terms of talked about testing particularly in terms of understanding the audience um but as you said there's all sorts of ways to get your content right how have you in the past or as a kind of thing you'd like to look to for the future, kind of measured success with content and kind of getting an idea of once something's out there, how it's performing and um, whether it's doing what you wanted it to do. So you've got a lot of different sources of information and um, particular content, I look at Google Analytics, um, which I use, and I look at how long people are spending engaging with the content are they sticking around? Are they looking at other pages, or are they? Are they? If there's a misleading headline or something, are they bouncing? Uh, you can see very quickly if you tweet something, if how many times it's liked or clicked on or retweeted. Um, you can see those are each social media channel. You can see how many people are talking about your article. You can use social media listening tools like uh, Medium to see where you're getting mentioned, see where you're getting picked up on other websites. And the key for me is to get all that data in one place. Um, so the way I do that is use I use Google Data Studio. Um, it's a free product, and it can you can bring in your data from lots of uh, lots of sources, including Google Analytics, and, and start to build a dashboard. So you mm. can see for each. Um, each article you release based on the title and uh, based on how you promote it, how do people engage with it? And you can very quickly, um, by having a good look at these figures, start to build up a picture in your head of what's working and what isn't working. Um, but you won't get it from just looking at a snapshot. You'll get mm -hmm. it from looking at the numbers every day. And that's what I'd encourage anyone in content to do, to look at the numbers every day and see how people are engaging with your content. Even if you're a freelancer, uh, working for a, a variety of companies, try and get access and share an interest, ask to be on be on the email round of the weekly reports that the marketing manager does, so you can get at least read-only access to Google Analytics. 
Um, there's some really good training for Google Analytics out there. Um, you can get a Google qualification for free. If you've got half a day, I'd say, um, you could get qualified in half a day of reading through the material and taking the test. Get to know that, and then you know as a writer what works and what doesn't. And you're not kidding yourself that everything you've written is brilliant and you, um, you don't have any doubts as to what title... Well, you will start doubts, sorry, that's not quite true. But you have a much better idea of what titles work and what things are engaging a different audience. So mm -hmm. you'll start to build up a picture of, oh, if I write for client A, I'll get really good engagement from this audience rather than just if I write for client A, if I do like this, the boss likes it. So you can, obviously, you've got to keep your job and your <laughs> and all that stuff. But you, by getting access to Google Analytics or getting that sort of information, you can start to build up such a better understanding of how your content reaches people and how people interact with your content that will enable you to write better content. 100%. It's that data-driven, evidence-based content. And then that helps bring people with you as well because when you start exactly as you were saying with those creatives in a previous team when you start heading down that very subjective oh, I just, I'm just not really feeling it I just, yeah. I just don't like it or I don't like it as much as this but no one's backing it up when you can come um, this body of evidence and show actually all of this informed these content decisions yeah that's yeah. when you can um, get so much more buy-in but what really just chimed with me from what you were saying is Again, quite often in my experience, I've sat very much in a UX team where we're likely to be building a um, particular product or service. So you're going through all the discovery process of getting to know your audience and doing um, interviews and pop-up surveys and um, analysing previous content performance and obviously deciding on kind of tests and beta versions and things. But it kind of can fall back into the silos. And I think while you might be looking at your own Google Analytics and heat maps of the pages and things that you're going to be covering in. It sounds like there's a real opportunity to reach out to if there is a, you know a separate marketing team and get to know how like their performance insights because actually taking it all the way back to okay well we know how this page has performed and therefore we're building up an idea of how we need to improve the content could also look into and actually these are all the referral and where people are coming from yeah, yeah. but again going beyond this the journey into the content and to and actually it was this particular tweet yeah, or yeah. this particular article that got their interest that then sent them to your page and you might be seeing things like I guess total disconnect like well this article was one thing the page it sent them to barely covers that or doesn't cover it until 75% down and you've lost <laughs> you've lost everybody by that point anyway um or it could start to really show actually this is some of the messaging that this audience is really reacting to. Yeah. Can we kind of bring that into some of the on-page stuff? And that, that data can be a, a spur for creativity. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's really hard when you've got a blank page. But when you think, oh, we've got this audience that likes this. So we've got a marketing audience, say. What else are these guys interested in? Mm -hmm. So if you can start to mine Facebook data and other data to find other interests where you've got an audience size, if you then create content that feeds both those interests, then you're likely to get a better um, better interaction with everyone that sees your content. So if you have people who are into marketing and like football and the World Cup's on, if you can merge the two, that's a really rubbish example. We can think of another example. <laughs> so, 
Um, but yeah, so if you can, it's something Larry Kim's written about recently. Um, it's worth checking out that blog post looking at overlaying Facebook audiences. Mm-hmm. So you can use your own audience, people who visited your site, with people who are interested in something else. And if that chimes with you as a content writer, it's something you're interested in. And think about how you can bring that into the content. Because there are, every, it's really important to think of your audience as lots of individual people with different um, likes and dislikes, rather than this homogenous group of people that want to buy your product or don't want to buy your product. Completely. And just because your main focus is on one channel, that's not real life. That's not your audience's focus. They don't just encounter your brand on the web page. They'll encounter them in all sorts of places or they don't just encounter them on Facebook. They're not going to make those kind of separations. So um, we shouldn't be. So thanks again to Alex for coming on the show. Um, It was really interesting to hear how some of his marketing research techniques and testing um, really overlap with what we'd want to do as content designers and how we could actually work closely with marketing teams to better understand what users are reacting to and how that might impact um, the digital content that we're designing. Um, Alex is going to be back on the show again soon where we're going to talk about um, video and the impact that has on content designers and digital strategy and also So um, looking into voice tech and the opportunities that could be bringing, um, as well as the challenges of designing for a purely voice-based interaction. So hope you enjoyed today's chat and tune in again next time.